KSI presents The Standard Show, the podcast that brings you the stories behind the standards with Matthew Childs and Cindy Parakil. Today's episode is on standards, steel and trade. Hello and welcome to The Standard Show. My name is Matthew Childs and I am with Cindy Parakil. Hey, Cindy Parakil, how are you? Moving on up by leaps and bounds. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> and you? Just trying to be one jump ahead. Nice. <laughs> now, the aim of this podcast is to bring you the stories behind the standards. And in this episode, we're looking at standards, steel and trade with the World Trade Organization or the WTO, the global organization dealing with the rules of trade between nations. And Cindy, this is your episode, really, isn't it? It's all about your recent conversation with the WTO. Yes, it is. And an excellent conversation with Michelle Mokaya and Devin McDaniels. So Michelle is a junior economic affairs officer at the WTO. So she works on technical barriers to trade with a background in sustainable development and standardization. And Devin is an economic affairs officer and also the deputy secretary of the WTO technical barriers to trade committee. Now, actually, Matthew, this is my second conversation with the WTO on climate and trade. Um, The first one was for episode 78, where we discussed carbon emissions, trade and standards. And what an excellent episode that was. Check out the podcast feed for that particular episode. Episode 78 comes highly recommended. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Thanks for that. And Um, Just in terms of this conversation, the wider context is COP27. So at COP27, BSI, the WTO and UNIDO ran a session on advancing the green steel industry using international standards with a particular focus on the developing world. So we got together leading industry players that are driving the decarbonization of the steel sector. So this includes the World Steel Association, uh, Responsible Steel, ArcelorMittal, SSAB and others to talk about the role of international standards in building trust, promoting innovation, avoiding trade tensions, and also unlocking the much needed finance to enable the transformation of the steel industry. And following that event, um, the WTO published a report called Decarbonization Standards and the Iron and Steel Sector. How can the WTO support greater coherence? And that is the reason for me speaking to Devin and Michelle, as they are two of the authors of this report. Now, at this point, I should mention that this will be the topic of the upcoming WTO Trade Forum on Decarbonization Standards, taking place at the WTO in Geneva on the 9th of March. Check out the show notes for more details on that. Now, before we hear Sydney's conversation with Michelle and Devin, a reminder that here on The Standard Show, we really welcome your feedback. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts, especially if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Find and follow us on Twitter at Standard Show and on Instagram at The Standard Show. And check out the show notes for all of the ways to get in touch. Now, In this first part of my conversation with Michelle and Devin, I asked them about the role of standards in the decarbonization of the steel industry. What standards and initiatives exist? And why there is a need for greater coherence of existing standards and how they think we can achieve that objective. But I started by asking them why it is so difficult to transform the industry, starting with Michelle. 
in the process of writing this brief alongside my colleagues, it's become evident just how challenging it will be to decarbonize the steel industry. Uh, it's quite complex for a number of reasons. So just for background, steel is the world's most important construction and engineering material. It has applications in almost everything you could think of from buildings to cars to medical devices to utilities like sanitation. So basically everything essential for functioning of society. Uh, at the same time, the steel industry is highly energy and emission intensive, meaning it takes up a lot of energy to produce and generates a significant amount of greenhouse gases. It's also been estimated to account for nearly 8% of annual CO2 emissions, as well as being one of the largest consumers of coal globally. Uh, so why is it difficult to transform the steel industry? To start with, I think we need to look at how steel is made. And this is where I'll ask you know, the forgiveness of any industry experts listening. As I explain this, I will do my best. So most of the world's steel is made through what's called the blast furnace process. This is something like 70% of the world's steel is made in this way. And this relies directly on coal as an energy input to turn iron into steel. So most global greenhouse gas emissions from steel are generated through this process. Uh, why is this bad? For obvious reasons, if we want to make any meaningful emissions reductions, we need to reduce how much coal we use to produce steel. So the good news is that there are many renewable energy technologies that exist and currently in development to help us with this. The challenge is that a lot of these technologies, for instance, green hydrogen or carbon capture, are still very much in their early stages. And so they can't currently be used to produce steel at scale. Uh, on top of that, these technologies are going to need significant investment as well as more supportive infrastructure. So for the moment, they still remain underutilized. Uh, I feel here I should mention as well that the other main process through which steel is made, uh, which is through what's called an electric arc furnace, this is considered a comparatively greener process because it uses electricity and recycled steel as inputs. But the problem with relying on recycled steel is that because, and this can be good or bad depending how you look at it, but because steel is so durable and long lasting, any sources of recycled steel such as buildings or infrastructure vehicles as a feedstock, it's just not going to be as ready, readily available when you need it. So just to summarize, uh, yeah, the steel industry, it's very hard to transform because of co a combination of factors. For one, it's very locked into these traditional methods of production, the main one being coal-powered blast furnace and any alternative technologies that we have are still quite expensive and premature. And we also have the additional factor of scrap steel not being as readily available as we'd like. I think one, one important point also to highlight is the uh, nature of investments in the sector. So of course, when you build a, a steel um, a steel mill, it's a very expensive undertaking. It's it's a huge amount of infrastructure, and it it's usually quite long lived. At least the traditional uh, blast furnace. And so, when we think about the need to decarbonize the sector, it's really important to keep this in mind that if we're thinking about you know ten, twenty, thirty years in which we need to reach net zero, then it's investments that are happening now that you know in the next years that really need to 
um, that need to be uh, helping us get on, along that along that path. So I think that's one one of the other challenges. Another challenge, which um, then links to to trade as well, is that steel is quite a highly traded product. There's of course, many different types of steel products. You know, they're for, of different qualities for different uses, but it is it is quite highly traded, and that also means that when we think about policy frameworks to try to accelerate uh, the decarbonization of the sector, whether that's uh, carbon pricing or regulatory measures or subsidies or other types of measures, these can have a big impact on the international competitiveness. Of of the of firms of of uh, different countries and and obviously on international trade, and so this this creates this kind of first mover problem where um, you know the first the those those um, those countries or regions that that take the take the quickest or first steps might be facing this competitive um, challenge. So in order to 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 um, make sure that the decarbonization happens at 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 pace, at scale, we also have to keep in mind this sort of trade dimension as well, um, and 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 make sure that trade actually is not an obstacle, but rather it's um, it's an asset and, and is supporting the efforts to decarbonize. So, Michelle, what is the role of standards in the decarbonization of the steel industry? So, carbon standards are one way that we can approach decarbonization of the steel industry. And overall, they can be an important tool for climate change mitigation, although certainly not the only policy tools that we have. Uh, our paper focuses on three kinds of standards and why these are specifically important to steel decarbonization, mainly standards that measure process emissions, definitions and em emission intensity thresholds for low carbon, near zero and net zero steel, and finally, product level standards that are based on life cycle assessments and carbon footprints. So to start with, I can talk about standards for measurement of process emissions. These provide a methodology to calculate facility level emissions and are usually based on a metric of carbon intensity although some other standards also include other greenhouse gases. So the main ones here are the standards being developed by ISO, the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, and Responsible Steel. Another type of standard that we look at are standards that provide emission intensity thresholds. And these are important because they give us a value or a set of values and an accompanying definition. Having an agreed upon definition for what we would call near zero, net zero, or green steel is important because this enables us to encourage investments into low carbon steel markets, enables price differentiation, and provides information with more clarity to buyers and, and consumers. And some of the main initiatives and organizations that are setting these thresholds and definitions include the IEA, the First Movers Coalition, the Industrial Deep Decarbonization Initiative, and Responsible Steel. Finally, the third type of standard that we identified as being critical in efforts for steel decarbonization are product-level standards, which are based on life cycle assessments and carbon footprints. These are a bit broader as they cover wider boundaries, including additional stages of production, and they may even take into account the end use of the product. So these have implications for trade as they are able to communicate more specific information about the carbon footprint, for example, for finished or semi-finished steel products. 
and may be needed for compliance with trade-related climate measures. So some product standards that we identified include standards by the GHG protocol, ISO, and the World Steel Association. So I'll move on to discuss some of the challenges that we identified. Uh, Each of these categories of standards has their own set of challenges. For instance, we see that with process measurement standards, um, they focus on four main aspects that they cover. Uh, This was identified by the IAA. So the first is on the emission scope and the greenhouse gas that it looks at. The second is the supply chain scope, which covers activities upstream and downstream. The third is its granularity, which means uh, does it cover the facility level, company level, or production route? And last is what is the the measurement methodology, rather, uh, meaning what data and information is needed. So our paper reviewed the main standards that we have today. And from that, you can see that there is such a variety in how they approach all these four aspects. Just to give an example, the GHG protocol standard focuses specifically on blast furnace production, while the ISO standard focuses on all steel production methods. Another key difference is, for example, the responsible steel standard, which focuses on all greenhouse gases, while we see that the European standard focuses on carbon alone. So these are just some ways that these standards differ. And in the end, this may have implications on the values we arrive at. Uh, Maybe just to add here um, onto what Michelle is saying, is that it's, it's of course, when we're talking about um, measurement and, and um, having confidence in, in the underlying uh, measurements, it's, it's really important that these are done in a consistent, comparable and transparent way so that everyone is measuring in the same way. Um, and, and so that's something I think that is, is a key thing to, to keep in mind um, as, as, we, as we try to advance the, the decarbonization of the, of the sector. So why is all of this a challenge for trade? So I think there's a couple of, of, of issues that, that come up and we've heard about these definitely from, from different stakeholders, companies that are, that are trying to contend with this um, proliferation of different um, definitions, thresholds, metrics, and, and just a lot, of, a, a lot of things developing at the same time. I think from, from a first point of view, I mean, if we look at the um, business angle, of course, when there's a, f- a great fragmentation uh, of standards and, and if these are also picked up in regulations later, this costs time, this costs money, this costs energy because these companies need to you know, do the same assessments multiple times um, and, and provide that information. Um, and so that, that's uh, just you know, a pain point for businesses. But also more generally, when you have very different standards that are used um, by different regions um, and different countries, this can also then create friction in supply chains, products um, and inputs can't move as, as freely. And then also, of course, this can create sort of uh, concrete trade tensions, which, which could be um, raising challenges, for example, in the WTO. And I think then, you know, more broadly as well, the, the fact that we have a lot of standards, it's clear that there's a lot of interest and focus on this area and a lot is happening. But the, this also then means that there is a bit of uncertainty as well. Um, for example, for investment in in decarbonization and 
in uh, the you know the near zero steel making technologies that that companies need to be investing in today. So the more clarity that can be provided on which standards will apply um, and and how they sort of match up with each other, the better I think from from the point of view of of um, both trade and and decarbonization. So exactly as Devin mentioned, having this clarity is important, and part of this challenge arises from the fragmentation of the definitions and emission intensity thresholds that are being put forward. So we see that the most common definitions being put forward are for near zero and net zero emission steel, with several initiatives and organizations assigning a value for what we would call near zero and net zero steel. Uh, And for the most part, we can see that there is some alignment towards uh, common values. For instance, the emission intensity threshold for primary steel, which is steel made from the blast furnace, Responsible Steel and the IEA have put out the same value, which is 0.4 tons of carbon per ton of crude steel, and the same value of 0.05 tons of carbon per ton of crude steel for secondary steel. However, you also see that initiatives such as Mission Possible Partnership, Steel Zero, and Sustainable Steel Principles will all have different thresholds for both primary and secondary steel. And for some, even within these thresholds, there is a sliding scale. So there is an even greater range of values for what would constitute for near zero, net zero, or low embodied carbon steel. Uh, You have, for example, the IEA, which has a subdivision of its near zero emission threshold that looks specifically at the context of different countries and regions, as well as their energy systems. So it could be argued that even the definitions of near zero and net zero will mean different things in different contexts. And exactly as Devin said, all this fragmentation and diversity will have negative impacts on trade uh, by potentially creating these high compliance costs for producers and causing them to have to adjust their production to comply with all these different standards. What is the solution here? How can standards help avoid trade friction? So that's the big question on whether there actually is a single solution or if it would be preferable to have a common global standard. Uh, What we've heard so far in stakeholder consultations is that converging on a single global standard may not be practical or desirable. It may not be likely that we would get to that point uh, because of the different contexts that steel producers operate in, the quality and accessibility of data to assist with this kind of reporting, as well as what renewable energy technologies are available to them. So I leave this question open as this is something we're hoping to find more about, uh, specifically what aspects we can actually converge on, if any. Uh, I think it may be more helpful to think along the lines of what are the main priorities for any standards we adopt, which we outline in our paper, namely that the standards developed should be globally relevant, technology neutral. They should be science-based and ambitious. They should be transparent, as well as having well-understood scopes and boundaries. Uh, And importantly, they should take into account the needs and participation of developing countries. So I think having these underlying principles will be a helpful place to start. Beyond that, it might also be useful to take the approach of having building blocks to achieve greater alignment, which allows for gradual progress by setting interim targets while also taking into account the different standards, definitions, and thresholds that currently exist. So I'll maybe pass it on to Devin to share his thoughts on what he feels the solution could be. 
Well, like Michelle, I think it's 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 indeed a, a big question, and um, as as I, I, I agree with everything she said in terms of the the challenge that we've heard, and and I think the reality check that also we've heard from stakeholders is is indeed that where things are now, it it doesn't seem practical or realistic to to think about one single international standard. Um, hopefully we can all measure at a minimum in the same way um, and, and and have a have a sort of single common uh, basic approach for measurement which seems to be something that that is is um, is is more or less happening today or or is is coming I think but it, but indeed in terms of thinking about the what what can be done if we are going to have different standards they need to talk to each other they need to take into account, different situations. And I think the, the, the sort of points that Michelle just laid out, which we've heard from, from our discussions with stakeholders are really important. And one, I think key one is thinking about that any, any sort of definition and quantitative threshold for um, net zero uh, steel needs to be very cognizant and, and reflect the fact that there are different ways of producing steel and different technologies. So you shouldn't, um, favor one technology over another. And also it's really important. So, so that means, for example, that a standard shouldn't be um, tilted to be more favorable to uh, primary blast furnace uh, steel production as opposed to um, production through electric arc furnace. So it, it needs to be neutral on, on those. And also really importantly that that new emerging steel making technologies, so, you know, using... Um, uh, uh, using hydrogen as a reductant, using uh, the application of carbon capture and storage, um, and and other ways of of um, DRI, other ways of of really lowering the carbon footprint of steel production. The different definitions and thresholds need to also be able to take that into account and to accurately measure the performance of those emerging technologies, so that um, producers have incentives to to really um, invest in the latest and best uh, and cleanest way of producing uh, their steel. In this second part of my conversation with Michelle and Devin, I asked them about how the international standard system can help ensure that the developing world is not left behind in the move to a low carbon steel sector and how the international standards community can work with the WTO to avoid the knotty problem of trade friction. But I started by asking them to outline the role of the WTO in supporting the decarbonization of the steel sector. This time, starting with Devin. Well, I think first when we, I think it's important to keep in mind, of course, that when we talk about WTO, we're talking about uh, the rules of global trade and the multilateral trading system. Um, but of course, then we know that climate change is absolutely a, a vital priority for everyone around the world, and and it's it's really affecting everything that we do. And I think trade is is no exception. Um, and so when you look at what's happening in the WTO, you see that members are really they have discussed quite a bit um, around the intersection between trade and climate change, um, and and the types of measures that countries are taking to decarbonize. Um, their their different sectors, including heavy industry sectors uh, such as steel, I, I think you know. So you have you have um, uh, bodies like the Committee on Trade and Environment, 
or the Committee on Technical Barriers to Trade, where some of these issues are discussed. And you also have uh, initiatives amongst uh, quite a large number of our members, uh, the Trade and Environmental Sustainability Structured Discussions, where those like-minded members are having deeper discussions on these topics and um, and trying to see how to how to advance. I think if you think about, especially on the standards part of it, there are, there are really um, strong rules in the WTO, in the TBT agreement, which is promotes alignment to relevant international standards and also sets out guidance on how international standards should be developed. And I think this is really relevant when we're talking about the standards that are going to um, be applied for decarbonizing um, heavy industry sectors. So I think those rules provide an important support, an important um, important context to help ensure that that these efforts are are done in a way that um, helps harness trade um, and and the positive role that trade can play in um, in decarbonizing economies and and disseminating uh, green technologies. Here we're talking about you know near zero steel making technologies. So if we from from that perspective, we've been doing some work and and based on this interest and discussion of our members, we had some initial um, exchanges with stakeholders earlier uh, at the end of last year um, around uh, carbon standards and the steel sector, and we realized that there was. Definitely a lot of interest and 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 demand for discussions on this topic in the WTO, um, and and so for that reason, um, we will then be holding on the 9th of March the first trade forum for decarbonization standards, which will focus on promoting transparency and coherence in the steel sector, where we're uh, planning to have a sort of global multi-stakeholder discussion where we bring together um, key companies, uh, uh, international organizations and others together with our members to discuss some of these issues um, and and see what role the WTO or what further role the WTO could play to help um, help advance this important decarbonization agenda. Do you think the international standard system can help ensure that the developing world is not left behind? This is a this is um, a big um, a, a very important um, aspect of, of 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 I think what we'll be discussing on the 9th of March, and really the the thinking that we're doing around this topic, which is that if you look today um, at the the standards, the the initiatives, the thresholds, definitions that uh, Michelle laid out earlier, it's really predominantly. Um, stakeholders in Europe and in North America that are that are involved in developing these uh, these uh, standards so they're really not having that global reach yet and so I and, and if you look at uh, what um, what the TBT agreement says what 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 the the principles say about how how standards should be set and international standards there's a big emphasis on making sure that you have developing countries all, the players at the table there to make sure that their voices are heard, that their uh, concerns and priorities are taken into account so that you can really have, you know, a globally relevant, globally applicable standard that, that is, um, that, that, that can be used worldwide. And that's really important, I think, from, from the trade point of view. So using the international standardization system, the approach, the model, I think is a very, very good way of, of trying to do that. Um, but also making sure that we make conscious efforts to to bring in 
uh, the the developing countries that might otherwise not be there and might not be aware, or might not be sure how to engage. I think that's a really important um, aspect here. Of course, it's you know that that it always for all standards setting, all international standards setting, it's important. But especially when we're talking about um, a global challenge like climate change in a sector that's so as global as steel is. So just to add on to what Devin said, one other important thing we should consider is what are the underlying assumptions and requirements behind these different standards and thresholds? Um, if we use a default metric to assess emissions, then producers that do not have uh, high quality or accessible data are then disadvantaged. Yeah, and maybe just to add on to, to what Michelle is saying, um, because her point brought something else to my mind, is also thinking about um, if the standards themselves have certain um, uh, certain assumptions or, or ways of, for example, handling um, the amount of scrap steel that's used in production. Because as, as we said earlier in, in, I think, the podcast, that, of course, using scrap steel can really reduce the carbon footprint of, of the steel uh, production process through electric arc uh, and, and can also be used in other ways. But the availability of scrap varies quite quite a lot. Um, and so in developing countries, there's much less scrap available just because historically they have a lower uh, amount of steel stock. So those types of sort of built-in structural challenges need to be taken into account um, in, 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 in these efforts to, to set globally relevant standards. So Devin, how could BSI and the international standards community help you to deliver the next steps on this journey to avoid trade friction? Well, I think there's um, there's so much th- that needs to be done, so much more work that needs to be done to understand, I think, the, the, um, the different needs, challenges, gaps um, that exist. And, and of course, it's there are many... Um, many different people and different organizations that are that are doing a lot of important work on this topic already um you know like we we mentioned some of them earlier like uh, the IEA uh, OECD uh, the UNIDO with the IDDI uh, responsible steel and others many many that are working on this but i think it's really important that the international standard setting community uh, of which BSI is a part also has a key role to play we know that you know the international standard setting um, system has has a really good um, track record of of you know making achieving global consensus on these issues. So, in these efforts that are ongoing um, amongst in in these different initiatives, which are I think today not necessarily global, we will need really to bring uh, them to the wider audience. And so, I think the international standard setting. Uh, for I will be really important to, to help do that. And I also think there's a lot of important work that can be done to, to understand and to better map out um, what is actually happening in different countries. So at, at this stage, I think we know uh, more or less about the measurement standards, the methodologies, how they differ, but then where, how does this interact with existing um laws, regulations that are that are on the books in different countries. Um, and, and I think that will be the next step when these standards actually start being called up and referenced in laws, in uh, trade measures. That's when I think many of the challenges may arise. So the more we know about the current state of play, I think the better in terms of trying to 
promote a more coherent, transparent, um, aligned approach towards decarbonizing the sector. So, Michelle, any final words from your side? Uh, just to say thanks very much for having us on your show and that we're really looking forward to our event on the 9th of March and hearing from stakeholders and members on their perspectives. And we encourage as many people as possible to attend. It will also be live streamed for those unable to join us in Geneva. So do look out for that. Super. Thank you so much um, to you, Michelle and Devin, for being such fabulous guests and um, from our side we very much look forward to the 9th of March event in Geneva. Thanks a lot. You have been listening to an episode of The Standard Show with Matthew Childs and Cindy Paragill. Subscribe to us now wherever you get your podcasts. You just heard a stripped media production. 